Hey, what's up, everybody? Today is, I never know the day, Wednesday, November 11th. Today is Wednesday, November 11th, 2015, and this is the promotional malpractice <clears throat> live chat, excuse me, on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Excited to be here. It's been a while since we had like a big fight week, and I feel like the buzz is a little slow, which is understandable because it's the, the fight itself is taking place on the other side of the world. And a time zone that couldn't be more different than the one I occupy, which is in the eastern time zone of the United States of America. But uh, be that as it may, kind of gearing up towards a fight for the biggest star in combat sports, basically, at this point. Um, and uh, a lot to talk about. Should be good. Should be fun, man. I'm kind of excited for this one. In addition to that, we've got some other news and notes. A lot of fighter retirements. Alan Belcher appears like Crow Cops retired. Um, on top of that, you've got people getting cut and talking about the Reebok deal and... There's a lot going on, man. There's a lot going on. So that and all of your questions, all of your comments, we will get to all of it on today's podcast. Uh, best way to ask a question, of course, you can do so on Twitter using the hashtag chat rappers, or you can go to MMAfighting.com and leave a comment in the comments section. The ones that turn green from being recommended by your peers get priority, but not exclusivity. Uh, okay, we go for about an hour and a half, and that's all there is to that. Finally got a haircut. I don't look too, too bad. Um I was looking I was looking haggard last week, man. I got a new diet soda to try. Again, this is not an official sponsor, but um, here you go. So this is Mountain Dew Kickstart. I've never had this. Energized fruit punch with just the right amount of kick. That's what it says. 5% juice. <laughs> this is like liquid sugar. I'm sure how many calories in this thing? Just 80. 19 grams of sugar, though. Whoa. I doubt I'll finish this. All right, let's give it a try. Oh, let me get the dirt off the top of this. Thanks, CBS. Oh, my God, it's red. Just tastes like uh, fruit punch. Yeah. It's... I like how fruit punch tastes nothing like fruit. There's like no fruit that even remotely resembles this. Like mango, no. Apple, no. Cherry, no. Whatever. Gets the job <clears throat> Gets the job done, I guess. All right, enough of that nonsense. Let's get to some of these questions, shall we? Uh, let me say one quick note, uh, a bit of a programming note. Um during the Monday Morning Analyst, I asked for some feedback about what you want the podcast to be. I was kind of debating some of the formats. Just very quickly, I'll say, got a lot of great feedback, tons of emails. I was actually kind of overwhelmed by them. I will answer them all in due time. But let me say thank you very much if you wrote an email giving some feedback. And I have to say the feedback, I mean, with very little exception, they all asically uh, basically. They all basically asked for the same thing. So I'll talk about that on the next podcast, not, not during this one, but I just want to say thanks for those who reached out uh, and got a hold of me. Um, and then lastly, I got some questions about the t-shirts. They're not coming anytime soon. The goal would be the first quarter of 2016, but I'm not going to rush it. It might well very well be the second quarter of 2016. It's not any kind of rushed priority. They will be done when they're done. It's like Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel. When, Michelangelo, will you be done? I will be done when it is done. That's what it'll, that's what's going to be. All right, enough of that. Here we go. First question. Shocker, it's James Glory. This dude gets in a thousand questions every time. All right, damned advertising nightmare, he says. 
One of the real treats when watching a combat fight is between rounds, listening to the various encouragements, advice, and sometimes tactical adjustments that the corner team coaching staff give to their fighter. It is a very revealing, intimate, and important part of the whole fight process in of itself, yet we are deprived of this privilege with the excessive annoyance of advertisements. I understand the concept and need for advertising, but come on. Uh, how much more can I endure of this Mephist... Uh, I think he's talking about Mistopheles. Mistopheles nightmare, I just don't know. Sometimes the advert volume is twice as high as the actual content volume itself, which infuriates me as I'm often watching in the early hours and as a consequence can't have the volume blasting out. How do you feel about this, Luke? What do you think about those fans we can do about this, if anything? Short of boycotting the broadcast or changing your habits to DVR or tuning out early, I really don't know, except to maybe make a public stink about it. That's the only thing I can really do, because I have to watch these events no matter what. Now, if I'm not assigned to watch an event, I only DVR it and catch it afterwards. I, I will never voluntarily watch an event that I don't have to at this point. Um, but I, I catch them all after the fact. But let's, let's talk about this for just a second. I mentioned this also in the Monday Morning Analyst. It is it is crazy how tortuous these events have become to watch on free TV. I feel like the best way to watch fights these days, there's three fight, three ways I like to watch fights. A fight pass event, which just goes like that, but the quality's diminished, but okay, this, the pacing is okay, right? Then, Jesus, I should have closed that window. Then you have, um, that is super loud, isn't it? <laughs> Oops. Um, then you have uh, you have Fight Pass. Then you have the Bellator regular shows, non-tent polls on Friday nights. I feel like those are a little bit better, okay? Uh, because they're about two hours and some change. But, you know, it gets in and out. It's not, it's not so bad. I mean, for those non-tent pole Bellator events, when the broadcast starts, typically the fighters are already in the cage, which I really, really appreciate. And then the third, I'd say, is a UFC pay-per-view which has its own fair share of advertisements and everything else, but it's five fights packed into, again, two hours and some ch- two hours and some change is perfect. should be no more than that. Five fights, it gets your time to run in your stupid advertisements, to do a little bit of setup, a little bit of, um, you know, B-roll for when you're talking about fights, to set up previews for the next event. It gives you all the time you need and not more. And that two and a half hours may include, you know, a half-hour main event. So it gives you four fights to do in basically the course of two hours. That's how it should be, man. Shouldn't be any longer than that. Anything longer than that, and it just becomes, ugh. Football games now, American football games, are getting hard for me to watch. Soccer is much easier to watch, 45-45 and stoppage time, um, you know, if there's not uh, overtime uh, in and of itself. Um, hockey gets to be a little bit dragging only because the, the periods uh, between the, 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 you know, there's, there's three periods. The time in between can be a little bit long. It's not typical like a halftime for you know American football or soccer, but it's a lot, man. It's really, really a lot, and it's it's just bizarre how it penalizes the consumer, and it penalizes their own show. If someone comes in there and let's say it's a Dustin Poirier, right? He goes in there and just knocks someone out in three or four minutes in a you know ridiculous display of skill and a heart maybe from the person who got knocked out. I'm just making an example of something. They then have to say, well, we're not going to expedite this program. We're going to make sure that no matter what happens, we're going to drag it out. And if we have to fill that extra time with ad inventory, we will. They pe- they penalize the consumer and they penalize the themselves to an extent, not monetarily, I suppose, but from an enjoyability standpoint, off the back of a first-round knockout. You almost pray for decisions during these broadcasts, so at least there's more time fighting on the screen than there is 
paying attention to advertising. It is abysmal. It is abysmal. You've got to speak out. Tweet these people. Tell them, like, look, I don't hate you. I don't hate your product. I don't hate your channel. But you've got to do something about the pace of these broadcasts. A seven-hour show is insane. NBA basketball games. If every MLB game lasted seven hours, people would lose their minds. All these MMA fans are like, man, baseball is so slow. It's a lot faster than MMA. It's a lot faster. And it's all game time. It's not a bunch of filler in between stuff. You know, MMA has it, MMA is one of these things where um, they they you know there's no there's no time limit between fights, so they can just do what they want with the broadcast. They can make it as long as they want it to. Now there's a a point where people might walk out and just leave the facility or tune out because oh my god, you're gonna take an hour between fights. I just can't take it anymore. But there's no rules to that. And so as a consequence, it just takes forever. And it's not just Fox Sports 1. Spike's been doing it too, and it's been driving me crazy. And then look at look at Bellator over there. We've got an announcement, and we've got another major announcement. Dog, just get your major announcements over with. You have two potential five-round fights at the top of this card. That might take a while. Let's get to that, shall we? I don't need to see a 1,000 donks in the cage. I don't need to see a 1,000 things on the stage in two different separate occasions. Get it over with. Have a huge, big punch, news dump, and move on with your broadcast. Oh, but people tune in longer if we make the broadcast go longer. Fans, you got to stop doing that. You just got to stop doing it. You got to stop doing it. It's just a mess. It's a mess. It ruins everything. There's no, the only time that this is not a concern is when you don't worry about a channel having to string you along um, for ratings. So a pay-per-view and fight pass or belt on a Friday nights, that's ultimately not overly concerned with doing that kind of thing. Those are the only times that happens, man. Otherwise, it is just a nightmare. It is a nightmare. It'll go through these things. There's nothing more enjoyable than having to skip a, a Bellator tentpole or Fox Sports 1 event and then catch it on DVR. Because the fights are good, right? Then they had the commentary team of Anik and Stan, which is my favorite, right? So all that's great. But then you drag it out with this annoying, horrible Burger King chicken fries ads a thousand times over and stupid-ass Fram ads with some biker on a tricycle and you're not doing it right or whatever. And this guy aging backwards, the, you know, uh, the old Brad Pitt character, the, whatever he, you know, better bring a rocket launcher, NOS Energy Truck. Oh, my God. I'm never going to buy your products for that. I'm never, ever. I'm boycotting all those products for that very reason. It's because you are driving it down people's throats and they don't want it anymore. I don't know what it's going to take for the people involved in MMA generally, be it the promoter, be it the clothing manufacturer, be it the television broadcast partner to realize you are putting on cage fights. Less is more. Let that do the talking, build a little bit around it, and move on. And here's the last part about this. If I'm buying a UFC pay-per-view, which starts at 10 p.m. at night, because Ronda Rousey's at the top of it, and I live on the East Coast, yes, I am giving you, say, whatever, $60, because it's an evening in. That's what that is. But if I'm watching a Fox Sports 1 event that may be headlined by a very good fighter, but let's say Ovin St. Prue, that's not my night in. Y'all keep thinking this is my night in. It's not my night in. I want to go do something else. If you live on the West Coast, you already have this opportunity. For folks on the West Coast who don't realize on the East Coast, these fights ending at 1, that's your night in. If you're going to make it my night in, 
put a little zip on it, will you? This is not how I want to spend my evening watching all these effing advertisements. My God, stop. Stop. It is the worst. Make a little few extra dollars, please. Please, I'm begging you. If you want to make it my night in, then make it my night in. But if you're not, if you're just going to drag it out and you've got a card that's okay, not great, move it along, Jack, because this is not working for me. All right, here we go. Tastes like four loco without the alcohol. That's, and I'm sure it's probably not too different from it. Yikes. Russian doping report. Uh, but, all right, so to begin, last couple of weeks have reminded us how utterly weird Arsenal is as a team. Isn't Arsenal weird? Um, whatever. I think Kazorla is super overrated, but that's just me. Anyway, then to the question itself. Uh... The sports world has been pretty shaken up by the report concerning Russian doping activities. It was from WADA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but while the brunt of the focus has naturally been in the athletics world, I was wondering, do you think the revelations will affect the status of the Russian fighters in the UFC? No, because they're going to be tested as they're going to be tested. This is not... Um, the UFC is not a water code signatory. Um, no, but certainly it casts some scrutiny over the state-supported... Um, sports in Russia, not even state-supported, really, but uh, especially those ones, um, and what it means for doping and anti-doping there. Um, you should read the report. New York Times has a big, long article about it. BBC had a good one as, about it as well. I don't think this really has much impact or effect on MMA per se, except maybe it might cast some doubts about the, um, you know, about certain the rise of certain athletes or their decline in certain capacities or their, you know, the, the, the nature of how these guys compete. Um, it also, you know, I think it also confirms some suspicions from, for some people, but it just sort of goes to show that, um, how do I say this exactly? Um, without belaboring the point. Certain countries have a different view of, it's not just that they don't, they know they can't do PEDs and they do them. It's not that, um, you know, people always talk about Brazil has just a different view of them, which is true. For folks who never talked to Brazilians or been there, this is, that, that is absolutely a true thing. They don't view them in quite the same um, hushed tones of negativity that we do. But um, I, I'm not sure how to say this exactly. There's just a very cavalier attitude about that sort of thing in, in large parts of the world. To what extent that's in, uh, the case in Russia relative to Brazil or any other place, I'm not entirely sure. I've never been to Russia. I can't, I can't speak on that with any kind of authoritative claim. But um, they clearly have a different view of what it takes to win, about what it means to, to use these kinds of substances and, um, and a certain tolerance for that kind of thing, um, even within their own ranks relative to competing for national teams. Uh, I want to skip one because it's long. I'll go back to it. This is a good one. Lombard not allowed to accompany Letourneau. I was surprised to read that. I don't know why you write, you write Lombardi. It's actually Lombard. But um, I was surprised to read that Lombard, Hector Lombard, will not corner Valerie Letourneau in her championship challenge despite being a close training partner. 
um, due to his doping ban. Has this ban on also cornering been always the case or end of curiosity was a rationale for it? The only reason I could come up with is a sponsorship visibility, but that isn't even possible in UFC anymore. No, it's related to USADA's, um, uh, what's the name of the, a prohibited association. It's a new rule. So this is a very interesting thing. Prohibited association is not uncommon in sports, um, you know, regulated by USADA. Um, or I think I think even some WADA some WADA signatories employ similar versions of the rule. Which, if you think about different sports, it's not a bad rule in and of itself. The problem with the rule is number one, we have not had the parameters of it defined, right? Um, and our shout-outs to uh, halfguardedmma.com, or excuse me, halfguarded.com, I think is the site, which was the first to write about this. I think that writer's name was Matt Grady. I could be getting that wrong, but I think I'm right. Um, who was looking over the language of the text and thinking to yourself, like, this is unnerving. We don't even know what this means, Right, and so you can read the language and some of the provisions to mean that you can't associate with this person at all. I actually reached out for UFC for clarification. Let me see what I got here. Um, got something on this actually from them. Let's see. So this is what they wrote me when I asked about it, because I was asking. Um, this is a UFC official wrote this to me. It was neither the UFC's intent in drafting the anti-doping policy nor USADA's understanding in enforcing it that the prohibited association rule would extend to individuals acting as a training or sparring partner. There is no policy preventing an athlete from simply working out with another athlete who has served or is currently serving a period of ineligibility. However, offering training, coaching, nutritional, or other advice management services or athlete support services of any kind from any person who is currently serving a period of ineligibility for an anti-doping violation is prohibited. If an athlete is ineligible, that person may not function as an athlete support person, and using a banned athlete in that manner is not permissible. A violation of this rule may result in up to two-year period of ineligibility, though, although prior to any dis uh, disciplinary actions being taken, the non-sanctioned athlete will be advised of the association with the sanctioning athlete, blah, 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 blah. Okay, you get the idea. So, in other words, the argument is, as I understand it anyway, she can't use Hector Lombard as a coaching or, I mean, I don't think he's serving any sort of managerial function, but he's giving training tips, he's giving coaching advice, he's sort of being a mentor in that capacity for her fight, and that is not allowed. Um, you know, Mike Chiapetta wrote something really great about this too, basically arguing, like, it's one thing to say, like, look at what the spirit of the law is saying. It's saying you, you, if you're Hector Lombard, who, you know, um, basically pled for clemency, you know, says he didn't take it, but, you know, it wasn't monitoring what he was putting into his body, um, begged for clemency, got a, a year-long suspension. Now, whether or not that was supposed to be applied retroactively is a different story altogether. But, okay, fine, he did all that, and the, and the policy was put into effect, right? Um, it's one thing to say, in the spirit of the law, we don't want this person, you know, 
um, whose influence on the use of performance-enhancing drugs might affect his teammates, either as a supplier, a distributor, a, a salesperson for PEDs, as an influencer for them. You want to separate that portion out of it. You want to remove this person from competition as a, as a means of punishment and you know, as a, hopefully as an de- uh, effective deterrent. That's sort of what they're trying to do here. But when you say they, can't, they can be your, your sparring partner, but they can't offer training advice, you know, sparring is training advice. It's not training advice verbally, but it's training advice. If you're training with someone and they're constantly triangling you, there's something to be learned there. But you can't have a verbal communication with them about it because that would be the same thing. You know, if you're constantly getting caught in a triangle, that is, that, that, that's, they're, that's, they're telling you something with that in a nonverbal means. So this to me, the, 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 the first problem with the prohibitive association rules is basically incoherent. But when you find all these problems with the rule, what you're basically finding to me is that like everything the UFC does, man, it just, I don't understand it from fight pass to the Reebok initiative to now some of these rules, they have their head in the right place. Let's get a streaming service. Smart. Um, We've talked about there's problems with the Reebok deal, but you could you could envision a scenario. Let's say where they allowed a different bunch of sponsors, or they had you know much more money was going to the athletes, where you'd be like, okay, thumbs up. You can you can envision a scenario that way, right? Um, and you can envision a scenario where you're trying to penalize users of PEDs, keep their PED using influence away from the sport um, as well. But what you see with everything is that it's just rushed. It's just rushed. They rushed Fight Pass, and now it's getting a lot better, but it took a while. And they rushed Reebok, and I don't know what's going to happen with that. And they rushed this, and so it's got some good parts. But the point being is it doesn't match the real-world architecture and scaffolding and support system built into MMA. MMA fighters don't have the ability to hire that coach, this training partner, this team, this other training partner, this boxing coach, and this other warm body to work with, unless they have a lot of money. It's very, it happens, but it's very rare. Most of these people share costs by working together. That makes the coherency of this rule dubious, and it makes its real-world applicability hard to understand. As Mike Chiapetta pointed out, it, it, it not only penalizes Hector Lombard because he can't compete, right, but it now affects Valerie Letourneau. Why are we penalizing her? She doesn't have the money to go and hire a bunch of other coaches. And oh, by the way, it's not just her training partner. It's apparently also her, uh, not her spouse, but her uh, real-world boyfriend. How are you going to enforce any kind of conversation they have about training tips? It's not even an enforceable rule to an extent. So there's so many problems with some of these things they pushed. Everyone was like, yeah, USADA, let's get these PED users. And I'm thinking to myself, this stuff's got to be vetted. It's got to be vetted. Yes, you know what? No more Condom Depot. Let's get Reebok in there. I'm like, do the fighters have any input? It's got to be vetted. And let's launch a streaming service. And there's nothing wrong with launching a streaming service, exactly. It doesn't have any, you know, uh, horrible consequences for anyone. But are you really giving people value for their money each month? Are they getting what you're supposed to get? Are you maximizing your own opportunity to build something? Or are you starting with a bad impression, and then having to dig out of it every time. That's what that is a constant pattern with UFC. They have so many good ideas. They have so many ability, you know, so many different ways to execute, and they just rush everything. And so they wind up having to backtrack and fix and make an adjustment. Everyone gets a bad taste in their mouth, and it slowly gets washed out. And it's just like, ugh, 
It doesn't have to be this way. Somebody in the space, you got to take your time, man. You got to take your time. You got to figure it out. And I know they were trying to do something because Lord knows they had, you know, the world breathing down their neck when all those, you know, when Anderson Silva tested positive and the world was, world was ending. I get it. They're under pressure to do things. And WWE was coming out with their network. So they wanted to match it. And I get all these things. But, but at some point, these things, you know, you got to get them right as best you can from the beginning. And just, you know, this, this clearly is problematic for the sport. A bunch of people who have done nothing wrong are going to be badly penalized. That does not make a lot of sense. All right. Someone is asking, flyweight women. Luke, should the UFC create a 125-pound flyweight division for women? Absolutely not. You guys keep wanting extra divisions to solve the problem of a few fighters when all it would do is add, if you added another champion, you're going to wind up just putting them on fight pass. Women's MMA is so thin anyway, it doesn't even make any sense. Y'all keep wanting cruiserweight divisions or everything like that. You just, you're going to create a ton of problems doing stuff like this. A ton of problems. Oof. Uh, Ryan Bader recently stated that he was going to do to Rumble um, what DC did and make him quit. As we know, Bader is not champion. Um, as we know, Bader is not champion Daniel Cormier, and fighting Rumble is a dangerous prospect for any man on the planet. So, in your opinion, where do Bader's best chances for victory lie and how? Um, he's only really got one reasonable path to get there. He's got to back Anthony Johnson up. He's got to take him down. He's got to hold him. He's got to ride him. Um, and that is a very, very difficult task for him. He's not going to be able to strike so much from the outside. I don't really buy that a lot. Um it's it's a tough road, man. It's a tough road. You know, he, he showed improved striking against Evans, but he also showed an ability to get his own back put against the fence. Against Johnson, that's going to be a nightmare. Um, you know, he's got great takedowns, but he only used he, – he set him up real nicely with his strikes. I don't know what kind of window he's going to have to do that against Anthony Johnson. Look, here's, look there's no den- denying. It's a nightmare matchup for Ryan Bader. It's a total nightmare matchup. But I'll say this. If he can get Johnson down, which is a huge if, but if he can punch his way into the clinch and get him down and then ride on him on top and just slowly wear him out and beat him up, he's got a good chance there. And assuming he can do that, first of all, I would consider that the signature win of his career by far. You might say Phil Davis, but that I, didn't, I, I thought Phil won that fight. And, and more than that, um, how could you deny Ryan Bader at that point? Even the most cynical person would be like, all right, you know, what can I say? You know, he beat everyone basically that you could reasonably ask him to beat. Maybe not even Gustafson, but, you know, Gustafson just lost two in a row. Um, Bader's ahead of him in that division right now. Uh, even though I don't like Bader's chances against Johnson or Gustafson. He just simply couldn't be denied. So there's a lot. You can say, well, Bader should have got his title shot, and maybe you can make that argument. But that, that, that ship has sailed. And so now the question is, um, what can you do to make his case ironclad? Well, beating Anthony Johnson would make his case ironclad. Um, and again, I don't like his chances because every, every one of his attacks will have to be set up from the outside. But if he was able to get him down, Bader can ride, man. He can ride from he can ride from half guard. He can pass guard when he needs to to side. Like he's got some he's got some skills. So. On the floor, I actually like his chances. Getting to the floor, I don't like his chances at all. 
Let me fix this real quick. All right. Uh, I'm going here. Good question. Sai, he writes, I'm going to watch it. Thoughts on Hoist versus Shamrock. What part of this, if any, excites you as an educated MMA viewer? None of it excites me. Not, not one bit of it excites me. I was watching that thinking to myself, God, um, what are they doing? Look, man, here is the truth about what's going on with Bellator right now. They actually did, I thought, better ratings than they were going to with their last tentpole event. So I give Coker some credit because they're still not doing what they need to be doing. The average was above 800,000, which is good. I mean, they're, 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 they're moving things in the right direction, so that's all good. Um, you know, Coker's got a lot of work to do to, to un-F the bills where he inherited. He's only been there a little over a year. Um, it's just a long process, man. That, you know, and, the, and they didn't really have – they had Bobby Lashley on there. You saw that's where the ratings peaked at over a million. I'd like to see how what it, what it finished at, to see if it will just tuned out afterwards, you know. Um, it's also, I think, when Kurt Angle got off the screen. So I give them credit for, number one, giving people what they asked for, um, you know, putting Will Brooks in a co-main event, um, you know, featuring these guys in ways they had wanted to be featured, knowing that they probably couldn't draw the kind of ratings that they wanted. They still overall did pretty well, all things considered, uh, against, you know, reasonably stiff competition in the sports world. So so those things I thought were actually kind of surprising. But generally what I would say is, when I, when I saw that announcement, I know some people had thought, you know, um, they should have put Dada 5000 versus Kimbo Slice in Florida. I don't know. I mean, I just don't care either way. Um, but sure, I, I buy the argument. That's, that's not that's not what I'm really concerned about. It's here nor there. What, what I am most thinking about here is that if you look at the state of Bellator today, it is basically two promotions in one. On the one hand, you have this authentic promotion that is... You know, look, Michael Chandler versus David Rickles is not the most meaningful fight, but it is, um, it is, it, it, it is a fight that has value. Um, these are both credentialed fighters. Um, there's not too much to how much you want to like about it. I don't know, but there's, there's there's almost nothing to complain about there, right? It's not as competitive as something you see out of the UFC, but nevertheless, it's not it's not bad. Um, and then, of course, you have Daniel Strauss versus Pitbull. These are it, it has this section of its roster. That is what the hardcores want it to be, which is another promotion trying to find the best fighters in the world and pit them against one another. The problem is, if you look at the state of MMA today, it is very difficult to do that. Very extremely difficult. Not just to get quality fighters, but to get quality fighters that can do ratings on television, that can sell at the gate. This this event did over just five thousand people at the gate. It's not a lot. It really isn't. You, know, you saw that most of the crowd was blacked out on Friday night. And so, to me, there's basically two promotions in one. It's the one promotion that understands there has to be, pardon me, some kind of legitimate product there. There's another promotion there that is. I think simply trying to fulfill a mandate. If you want to have big ratings on Spike, if you want to go to places like the Toyota Center rather than, you know, Pachanga Resort and Casino, if you want to have the New York Times write about you or Sports Illustrated or whatever, just bigger publications, there are just some choices you have to make about what's available and what will get you there. And simply stated, 
if you're Scott Coker, I know everyone's like, oh, I hate this fight. I hate this fight. Look, I don't like these fights either. But I don't really know what else he could do. I really don't. And you and I mentioned before, uh, you look at like Ryzen F, uh, whatever it is, FF, Ryzen FC, whatever the promotion is in, in Japan, and all the gimmicks they're having to come up with to get some kind of suitable shows put together. So Bellator is strange. At the one hand, it is the rise of Bubba Jenkins and developing a contender. It is Daniel Strauss, who is an elite featherweight. It is Will Brooks. It is Marching Held. It is Michael Chandler. It is, um, I can go down the list, is Goichi Yamauchi. It's these guys who are, you know, credentialed mixed martial artists and that they put on those fights and they put on those shows. And on the other hand, it is Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000, and it is Hoist Gracie and Tito Ortiz. And to, to fairness to Tito, he's still trying to fight in competitive fights against Liam McGeary, but you get the idea. And previously, Stefan Bonner and, and whatever, everything else. My only question about it is, look, do I think Gracie versus Shamrock 3 and um, Dada 5000 versus Kimbo will do well in Toyota Center? Yeah, I think it will. People on my timeline who are in the sports world, not the MMA world, were kind of excited about it. This is a true thing. I'm not even kidding you about it. It appeals to a much wider segment of the fan base while it enrages the hardcore fan base. But my only question about it, and this is why I mentioned it sort of feels like two promotions at once. On the one hand, you have this legitimate promotion within the promotion. On the other hand, you have this absolute sideshow event. Um, my only concern is we know that at the top of that card, you're going to have Gracie versus Shamrock. And the Co-main event, you're going to have Kimbo versus Dada 5000. Below that, you're going to have probably a very legitimate array of fights, that promotion within the promotion. I still wonder, and I don't, I'm don't. i not saying the answer is no, does the, does the celebrity and craziness and, frankly, freak show aspect to some of these fights bleed into the legitimate side? Not by making it worse, but I mean... Is there a real transference of popularity down? Is there a trickle-down effect for popularity? We all know it takes a long time to build a fighter's brand, so it's not like after every show you can really take a look back and put your finger to the wind and figure that all out. But I guess what I'm just wondering is, it's one thing to say, you know, UFC can, is going to sign CM Punk and do whatever else, and that's one thing. Um, it's quite another to say, can the popularity of Ronda Rousey trickle down to Yuani and Jacek? Because I don't even know how, if that's really po possible, much less Gracie versus Shamrock 3, which feels like an entirely different universe of the sport, down to, let's say, Chandler versus Brooks 3. Can it really make that fight bigger? I don't know. It feels like they're so far apart and they're so distinct and they're so uniquely entirely different. I just don't know if they work to to popularize the other or if there's enough sugar with the medicine. Um you know, it's one thing to say we're going to have Kimbo versus Ken Shamrock at the top of the bill, but then the co-main event is going to be Patricio Frede versus, you know, Daniel Weishel, which is a very legitimate fight, right? This is two of those at the top of the card. And you're only going to have three other fights in the card, most likely. Boy, those better be three real hardcore awesome bangers, man. So I think that's my only concern. And I, again, I am not here to say it won't work. Look, it might work out splendidly. It might work out splendidly. But I guess my only point is that this is a, a fairly new era of MMA. Um, at least as far as American promotions are concerned. 
as far as American promotions have been, been concerned, it's usually tilted a little bit more heavily to- towards one side or uh, heavily towards the other. UFC might dabble a little bit in that freak show vibe, but they typically stay on the straight and narrow. And promotions might, on that freak show side, they might have a couple of interesting fights on a card that you can enjoy. Remember Moosin or um, Yama was weird, but you get the idea. They might dabble with a couple of interesting fights on the card, but more or less, they're, they're sort of known for what they are. This seems to me like a almost a split down the middle and the promotion's being divided. And it just feels like there's this old promotion of legitimacy, but fairly boring and small audience. And there's this other promotion of fantastical um, craziness that can generate a wide audience. Does the audience that likes this, can they really be taught to like this through this? I don't know. I really don't know. Not saying no. May well be, may, may well be the case of yes. Um, but part of me feels like the people who like this, they can be taught to like this in a fleeting manner, but not a, are, they, are they really MMA? This is MMA. Are they really MMA fans? Are they are they interested in elite fighters pairing off against one another to figure out who's the best? Not really. A little bit. A little bit. But this for Gracie versus Shamrock is a bizarre curiosity factor. It is romanticism to some extent. It is um, almost pity on the other hand, depending on the person you talk to. With Kimbo, it's a certain celebrity factor. And out of 5,000, it's like, you know, you know, you know what's what that's going to be. Not going to be a lot of omoplatas in that fight, right? I mean, we can pretty much guarantee that. Um, are, are the consumers of that really interested in this? Because they're fundamentally quite different products. It's not the same as CM Punk or Herschel Walker versus some donk mixed on a card with, hey, here's Luke Rockhold and Daniel Cormier and Ronda Rousey in the, in the old Strike Force days, whatever the case may be. Let me find an old Herschel Walker uh, card to see what he was on. I have forgotten now. Um, and that was, you know, Herschel Walker, at well, a minimum, was an elite. I mean, he was old, but he was an elite athlete, right? Let's see. He fought twice. So on the Strike Force Miami card, it was Diaz versus Zoromskis, Cyborg Santos versus uh, Marlos Kunin, Herschel Walker versus Greg Nudge, Robbie Lawler versus Melvin Manhoff, and Bobby Lashley versus Wes Sims. Okay, so that's pretty good. And then on the Strike Force Diaz versus Cyborg card with Herschel Walker, you had Diaz versus Santos, uh, Cyborg Santos, um, Jacques Array versus Robbie Lawler. Herschel Walker versus Scott Carson, and then Hodger Gracie versus Trevor Prangley. You know, it, it, this is this feels this feels like we're ratcheting up towards eleven a little bit more in ways on the American side. We are not quite accustomed to seeing, and it's a little bit unsettling. Uh, Luke, what's up with all these internet bullies who harass and make fun of fighters on this site every day? It's pretty sad to see you guys run the site and just let it go on. No, it is very hard to control it because there are so many bad people. You have to have an array of moderators, which uh, takes money and effort, and they're very hard to find, and we simply have other priorities. We don't like it. We can shut down the comments if you like, but that's the nature of the internet. So if you want to volunteer to do it for free, let me know. Uh, thoughts on Ramsey Nijem stating that he was released from the UFC not due to his record, but for his not-so-successful negotiation tactics and his refusal to sign the new deal when he requested more money due to the implications of the Reebok deal. If you didn't see this, he was on MMA Junkie Radio, and he basically said, you know, I wasn't released because um, 
of uh, poor performance, I was released because they offered me another deal. I told him I needed more money. They said, no, this is what you're going to get. And he said, well, listen, I can't, you know, if I don't have sponsors, I can't live on this money. Also, I'm not signing that WADA, you know, the USADA um, agreement um, for, you know, year-round testing. And so they let him slide. They let him go. Uh, that seems entirely consistent with the other stories I've heard about, um, you know, uh, fighters who, I mean, look, <laughs> it's a leverage world, man. It's a leverage world and you either have it or you don't. And he didn't have any, but I, I almost wonder if this is a benefit to him because there's going to be another promotion out there who might hire him, who won't spend the same amount on a guaranteed contract that UFC might give him, let's say 10 and 10 or something. Um, but he can probably get a lot more in sponsors um, given the fact he was an ultimate fighter and he has an exciting fight style and against, you know, lesser competition, he could be uh, pretty successful, I suppose. So, I don't know what Bellator is going to do if they have any interest in him or not, um, but or maybe World Series of Fighting or whatever the case may be. But it's just interesting to know, like, um, I mean, he did get cut in part because of his contract. I mean, they, it made it, e- it made it easy when he played hardball with them to let him walk. Uh, so there is, I mean, that contributed to it as well. That's sort of be cons- you know real about it. But on the other hand, um, I mean, look. <laughs> Well, uh, how many different guys do you need to tell you this before you begin to think it makes sense? How many different people need to tell you they're losing money? I, I, I just, you know, I found it so humorous when Brandon, Brandon Schaub came out and was like, oh, I'm losing a fair amount of money here. Everyone's like, there's no way you're making that kind of money. And then slowly you're hearing stories over and over and over again about this guy was making tens of thousands per fight. This guy was making 30,000, 60,000 per fight on sponsors and who knows if the sponsors were getting a return on investment. I think most of them didn't, but those guys were still getting those checks, you know? Um, and again, this Reebok deal is so prohibitive was so rushed. They never considered what kind of PR impact it was going to have. And now everyone's kind of like, what do we do now? And it also goes to show everyone was like, well, what about Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo? Uh, and his non-agency cutting ties with the UFC fighters. And everyone was like, if you're really into invest, I saw this on Reddit, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, Reddit is like 99% awesome people, but there's just a couple of donks everywhere in every community. I saw some people being like, you know what, if you're really into you know, representing MMA fighters, then you should do it for the principle of it. Like, like what business does that? I mean, that makes no sense. I'm going to, you know, it's one thing to stand for principle and take a little bit of a loss. You know, Costco, for example, pays their people a living wage or something like that. Um, REI is going to be closed on Black Friday, you know, and, and they're not even going to sell anything on their website because they feel like, you know, there needs to be a little bit less commercialism in the world and a more of a return to family time. Okay, fine. But they're not, you know, they're not going to sell all of their sleeping bags for no profit, right? I mean, there's a limit to that kind of thing. And the idea that, like, these businesses should just take on clients for which there is zero return, that's just not the way the world works, man. That's not the way the world works. And, you know, this is the case of someone like Vitor Belfort who had, I mean, he had some big sponsors in Brazil. I don't know how many he lost overall, but, um, you know, if you can't put any sponsors on your Reebok gear, sort of one that's already a sponsor of the UFC, like let's say TNT in Brazil or Monster Energy. And the ones who get to where, if they're, sorry, excuse me, if they wind up signing a deal with a Verizon or a Sony or uh, or whoever, and that goes on top of the Reebok air. The fighters don't get a penny of that either. 
you know, and this is a how many, how many year deal. So it's just so problematic. It's such, I mean, the more you think about the consequences of this, the more you think like, what, what, what have you done? Chased away all these people from the sport. And I had someone arguing with me today uh, as well saying, well, you know, look, Luke Rockhold got sponsored by Adidas. Luke Rockhold and Robbie Lawler got sponsored by Adidas. And they got sponsored by Adidas Combat Sports, which is a, a branched off division of Adidas. If you go to look at Adidas' own website, other sponsored athletes, they don't show up there, by the way. Let's just sort of make that clear. So it's got a smaller division with a much smaller budget. The money's not the same. The brand exposure is not the same. The brand support's not the same. It's complete. It's, no, it's, it's a different division of the company. Okay. I mean, it's still valuable. In fact, <laughs> Adidas geese are my favorite geese in the world by far, and especially the newer editions. They're fen- it's phenomenal product, phenomenal gear. Um, Adidas, as you guys know, makes Real Madrid's jersey. I, l- I love Adidas, but like it's not like these guys are getting the same deal John Wall is getting or James Rodriguez is getting. It's not the same. Anyway, um, but you know, look, you've chased out the ability for Under Armour to sponsor individual athletes like George St. Pierre. I don't know what the nature of his deal is. Um, same uh, with the Fliction in his particular case, or Phil Davis or whatever. You've chased out all these brands, um, and then you've you've minimized the ability of these guys to offset low fighter pay. I think that was my problem from the beginning. There was two problems with that Reebok deal financially. I understood the argument that the UFC was making was that you know if you can't get sponsors outside of the broadcast window upon which we feature you, there's a real question about what is really being sponsored here. Is it you or is it our broadcast time? I think that argument is strong, but I also feel like the fighters could say, well, it might be your broadcast time, but if we don't exist, you don't have a product. And so there should be some kind of negotiation back and forth about what these minimums should be uh, and who should get what, how much money. There should, I mean, 70 million um, uh, is, is nothing, is nothing, right? Over the course of the amount of time the deal's been allotted. Um, I think it's 11 million per year, right? Something like that. <clears throat> 70 million over six years. Anyway, um, so that so that was one problem, right? Was uh, this is just the nature of the argument about the Reebok deal. The other problem with the Reebok deal was that, uh, and I sort of just alluded to it, which was um, it's one thing for fighters. To, I mean, I feel like there are more complaints about fighter pay now than ever, and. And the Reebok deal is solely to blame, in a sense, right? I mean, the, the I shouldn't say so. That's not true. It's not solely to blame. Let me take that back. It is a major contributory factor to that current set of problems. Because if you had low fighter pay, let's say 20 and 20, but you lost your fight, so you only got 20 grand. And, you know, you're, going, you're only going to keep, you know, five to, um, let's say, if you're, by Miles Jury's math, you're only going to keep about 5,500 of that. Um, then the rest of your money is going to be made off of sponsorships. Because if you think about it, if you're only going to fight three times a year, let's say you lost all three fights, or let's say you won one, so you would only get about twenty grand take-home pay. That ain't much, Jack. So the rest of the money has to come from sponsorships. Uh, boy, this coffee, this caffeine is making me sweat. Do I look red? I look red, don't I? Jesus. I'm literally like pouring sweat. All right, long story short, um, and so it was a way to offset low fighter pay, which has now been removed, basically. It has now been, uh, you know, taken away. And and they haven't even set up any mechanisms to, like, tier yourself into additional pay, even with the ability to to bring in additional sponsors. If somehow um, Ducati, 
you know, well, I guess they have a Harley Davidson. Okay, imagine Audi wanted to sponsor Michael Bisping. Now, they could, independent of that, I suppose, on local um, things like that, but they couldn't sponsor him any kind of way for him to get, to get brand exposure during... Um, I don't even want to go down that road anymore. Suffice to say, it was a way to offset low fighter pay, and you've taken that away. Um, and the argument about, you know, well, you're broadcasting and you're, you're, you're monetizing time on our broadcast is true, except for the fact that the broadcast doesn't exist without the fighters. And so there was, there was no attempt made to carve out a deal that really understood this. I mean, this is sort of shocking to me, but I think if you ask folks in the organization, and I've asked folks in Bellator, they don't know the answer to that. What does your average fighter make in sponsors? What do they make? They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. There's not a whole lot of data, collected, examined data. Shouldn't that have been known? Shouldn't that have been known? What does the average fighter make? Now, that average is going to be almost a misleading number to an extent because Frank Amir is going to make a lot more than Frankie Signs or something like that. But you, it would at least have what this person has made year over year over year and sponsors. Some kind of data to look at and say, okay, it's a rough estimate, but based on this information, here's what we think. And it's not clear at all that that was any kind of part of the calculation and how this deal was arranged. And so that's why there's such little correspondence to the financial realities that some of these guys face. And look, you might say, listen, if it forces out the Ramsey Nijums of the world from the sport, what have we really lost? Because I have certainly made the argument that, um, you know, UFC should be for the elite talent of the world. And if you're not elite, it's, you know, is there really a place for you? Okay, fine. But that means you should shrink the roster, right? If you're just forcing out guys because of poverty versus a concerted attempt to, craft a product that you know that to me doesn't quite feel right if you're going to make a claim about the status of your quality that quality has to be enforced versus i just don't want to pay you because i don't think you're worth a whole lot um and you have no leverage to push back on that so what i say goes two different kinds of realities there Someone says Nidham was two and four in his last six. You can't ask for more money being a mid-tier non-draw vet. Why can't you ask for more? You can always ask for more. UFC has a right to tell you to go pound sand, but you can ask. Why can't you ask for more? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying I I can't live on this money? I don't. Uh, why is that out of bounds? I'm getting concussed in here. I'm getting. I'm bleeding, I'm getting arms tweaked, I've broken my ankle, and I'm living hand to mouth. And you don't have the right to ask for more money? Yeah, you do. The other party doesn't have a right to listen to you, but you always have a right to ask for more money. Always. There's no such thing as not having a right to ask for more money. There might be a situation where you don't have enough leverage to ask for more money. That's different than having a right or a cause or a belief. Or frankly, even a good reason. Guys, I would like to work for you. I can't pay my rent. And also, there's just something deeply unseemly about this. You know, we we have to say we're the place where top quality happens, and it is. But also, we have guys who 
can't sign deals that we've offered for them because they would not be able to pay their bills. It doesn't quite it doesn't quite match. There's something off about that. Bellator makes you know Bellator look they're a distant number two, but they don't make any claims about that. At least they shouldn't. If they do, we'll call them to task. But we'll take them to task. But um, it's one thing to say this is where the best come to play, and also where some of the people who we claim to be the best can't pay their rent. You can't you can't have that. You can't have that. And so if you're if you're going to say, you know. You're not up to par, and you're not worth this. If you can't pay a guy enough money because he's not worth enough to you to have him be able to pay all of his bills, why is he in your organization to begin with if your organization is based on quality? That, to me, is just a fundamental disconnect. If you're saying he's not worth any more than he's asking for, which is not enough for him to live on, you mean to tell me you you want to keep a guy in your ranks – that you you don't even care enough about whose whose value to you organizationally is not enough for even to make help him pay his bills then why is he in your organization at all if the, if the value to you is so low why is he there at all you should have people in your organization that you know I mean, the value is there. Oh, we have to have, you know, all these divisions. We have to go to all these countries and everything else. All right. Well, then you're going to have to deal with the situation too. If you want to go to all these places and have all these shows, which means you got to have all these fighters on all these cards, then you got to deal with the bad PR that comes with it from having a situation like that. If you want to curtail the product and you want to close it down a little bit and sharpen it up so that situations like that don't happen, then you get my thumbs up. But if you want to go to a thousand far reaches of the world and have 50 plus shows a year and you got slots to fill, well, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get guys who are just there because you need them to be there. But that means you're not fulfilling the brand mission as much as you could be. And that, that to me is the disconnect. All right. Rhonda's quote about women being more dangerous than men. Yes, I saw this. Rhonda was recently quoted in the LA Times saying that women are more dangerous than men as their quote, they're less structured because they're newer in the sport. They throw things out of nowhere, end quote. <clears throat> Essentially, she is saying that their diminished technique compared to men make them more dangerous. That's not what she's saying. What did you make about this statement? In my opinion, it is virtually ludicrous to suggest that the lack of technique would make a fighter more dangerous, man or woman. No, she's right. What she is saying is, look, okay, if someone takes you down, you might have a certain set of um, things you want to do. You might have tried for the whizzer to get your hips up, get your right foot planted, um, and maybe they, they scoop the leg. If they scoop the leg, you're going to keep the whizzer, but then you're going to die for another far side underhook. You're going to try things on the opposite side. If that doesn't work, you're going to go back to the other side. You're going to throw an omoplata. You know, if the omoplata doesn't work, you go to the triangle. If triangle doesn't work, they go to side, they go to side. You belly down, you go to turtle, you go to turtle. And just, you, have this, you have all these sequences built in over time from experience and ability and technique. You need to have them. But there's, for someone who's at your level and maybe slightly higher, there's a certain measure of predictability there. You, you have to have them because they're the best practice, all things being equal. Not every time, but usually, the, you know, how do you get out from side control? There's a number of different responses, but not all are going to make the same sense. Turning your back so you, you know, if, what, what's the most common way to get out of side control? It's to shrimp your hips out and then face them. Because if you just roll away and you show them your back, what's going to happen? You're going to get your back taken. 
there's a certain measure of predictability in that. Okay. And the key is it's the, if you look at the best fighters in the world, what they typically do is it's less about being unpredictable how they win. It's more about, I've just got a sharper set of refinement on the systematic structure of my skills. That's what Rousey's saying. What she is saying is not that being less skilled uh, makes you more dangerous in all circumstances. But what it does say is for all the 99 times out of side control, a less skilled person will roll over and then show you their back, which means you can sink the hooks because that's going to happen. There's going to be that one time where they're going to keep rolling and all of a sudden just keep going all the way through with another elbow and catch you. A structured person is never going to show you their back to begin with. Never. They're never going to be in side control, push on their their face, and just show you their back. They're just It's not going to happen. They're going to have a thousand different things that they're going to do to get out of that. And there might be more than just shrimping back to guard and facing you. They might have a number of different escapes. But they're all going to be technical. And through that understanding of the comprehensiveness of technique, you can at least sort of follow what's going to happen. That's how you're playing chess. right? But in MMA, where if you zig when you're supposed to zag and you're not expecting something because no one just ever does that in that situation because 99 times out of 100, you're not supposed to. But that one time, they come back, they catch you. That's what she's talking about. They're just liable to do something crazy. And most of the time, crazy is going to backfire. That's why she wins so much. But every once in a while, something crazy lands. And you're never going to see it coming because no one's ever going to teach a skilled person to do that. A skilled person is going to always try and use their skills, their knowledge, their know-how, their muscle memory. That's what she's talking about. She's totally right. She's totally, totally right. You might learn a collar drag to go one way, but instead of dropping to your hip and tripping on the outside, maybe you press on their knee and you buckle it in the process. No one ever taught you that. No one would ever teach you to do that because 99 times out of 100, it's not going to work. But that one time, crunch. That's what she means. So she's absolutely correct. She's not saying that every time a less skilled person is going to somehow magically will themselves into knowing what to do. Fighting is a science, and unless you are a fight scientist, you simply don't know the information. She is a fight scientist. But a fight mad scientist, (laughs) you know, (coughs) 99 times out of 100, their projects are going to fail. But one time, it'll be Frankenstein. And let me just add the one thing about what she's saying there, because she's totally right. Look, I've been saying this from the beginning. People are like, most people I think agree with it or say, oh, you're bringing it up too much. I'm not trying to bring it up too much. I'm just trying to make a point that I think to this end, 95% of the superlatives heaped on Ronda Rousey are absolutely justified. But I think there's a 5% quotient out there that go a little too far. You know, when Joe Rogan says she's a once ever, I don't, I don't believe that. Once in a lifetime, maybe. Once ever, no, I don't believe that at all. Um, but um, 
she is tacitly telling you, look, I'm not, she's not saying women are inferior or can't be as good as the men or whatever. She's not saying any of that. What she's saying is this is a newer sport for the women's side. There are much fewer matriculated combat high-level athletes from other sports who have come over. There's much fewer participants in that side of the sport. It's going to be a little less developed. She's tacitly, not tacitly, she's inadvertently admitting that there's a little bit less going on on that side of the sport from a technical standpoint. So to everyone who was like, oh, you're just trying to take away Ronda Rousey's achievements. No, I'm not. She's deserving of 95. Hell, let's say 98%. But we also have to acknowledge um, she might be the, the best in our lifetime. We might never see anyone else like her. But in another lifetime, and then, you know, however many years from now, 50 years from now, there's going to be a lot more people of that kind of skill level, or at least pretty close to it anyway. Um, and it's going to be because it's going to be because the sport has been much more developed in that time. You're going to have these systems of offense and defense that people have put together and established, and in doing so, um, you know, made the sport a lot better. You know, but for all the people who are like, well, they're the, you know, you're you're hating on Ronda Rousey because you're saying that she's beating up on lesser uh, you know opponents. No, no, she's saying she's beating up on lesser opponents. Uh, Hendo's once legendary chin. It is no secret Hendo used to be impossible to be knocked out or hurt. Now he's being knocked out and stopped more than any point in his long, illustrious career. Is it possibly now too dangerous for Hendo to continue this high level? Um, it's a good question. So here's some stats about it from MJC Flip the Script. So here's what he says. Dan Henderson has suffered more knockdowns, 15, than any fighter in UFC Pride, Strike Force, WEC combined history. Think about that. Henderson suffered four knockdowns in his first three UFC and Pride bouts, but wasn't knocked out in any of them. Alan Goez, Carlos Newton, twice, and then Vanderlei. From UFC 17 to UFC 161, Henderson fought 32 times in Big Four competition and suffered nine knockdowns and zero knockouts. Since November of 2013, Henderson has fought six times in Big Four competition and suffered six knockdowns and three knockouts. It's just evidence, y'all. It's just evidence. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with him, you know. Uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough road, man. Because he wants to go out on his own terms, and you want to honor that. And it's not like he's doing the whole head flopping back like Chuck Liddell was doing at the end there when he was fighting people like Rich Franklin and stuff, or or, or whatever. He's not getting brutally shut out like. Uh, like Liddell was against, say, Rashad Evans. But yeah, man, it's it's not awesome for him right now. If they if they made him call it quits, I'd appreciate it. But if some part of me feels like he's gonna have to go out like Big Nog did, which was like, you know, I mean, that was hard to watch, man. Someone asks, is it possible that Bobby Lashley is not on steroids? Look, man, I have a responsibility to to uh professional unless there's any evidence linking him to it we have no reason to speculate otherwise certainly his physique is uh, unusually large but if he's not failing any tests I, I can't get out there and, and say something irresponsible
What do you think about the way the UFC builds up contenders in the smaller divisions? We have Ronda facing Holly, Betch, uh, numbers 7 and 10, while other divisions are fighting top five to get a title shot. It works for marketing, but at what point will it be hard to sell a fight of the best in the world versus the 15th best? They can do that because people who, this is what I'm telling you guys, you got to be prepared for this. The reason why is because the hardcore fans are going to watch no matter what. And so the trick is to get the casual fan. What's going to get the casual fan? A marketing angle with, you know, Holly's background as a boxer, um, jumping up on the current wave of popularity for Rousey. Anyway, I mentioned before in the last chat, people were like, well, why wouldn't the Misha Tate fight sell? It would sell. Anything, anything. Rousey versus a pair would sell. But uh, um, Ronda Rousey eats an orange on pay-per-view. Here's just casual fans giving them money. But this is sort of my point. Like, People talk about Rousey, I think, in, 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 in the wrong way. She has hardcore fans locked up, you and me. She has casual fans pretty locked up, right? But then she's got Rousey fans beyond this. And what folks need to accept is there are a group of people in the sports world and the people who are interested in Rousey and will buy her pay-per-views strictly, solely, unequivocally, for her that's it when she leaves the sport she's taking them with her guaranteed guaranteed she won't take the hardcore fans she will take a portion of the casual fans and she's going to take all her rousey exclusive fans and they're more than you think they are there's a lot same thing happened with brock lesnar when he left and he had already a crossover audience built in so imagine how it's going to be when Rousey goes. Whoa. She's going to take all those people with her. There are people who only tweet about MMA if it relates not even to Rousey versus Holm or Rousey versus Tate or even here's Rousey's judo throws. Just Rousey, her life. You know, here, what she was wearing, what she said about something. BuzzFeed and, and Maxim, here's who Rousey endorsed for president. It's just about her. So that's why you're getting these weird matchups in some of these divisions. I don't think this is a systemic approach and how they want to organize their product. UFC is better than that. We know that. It's just about taking advantage of a certain moment in time with Rousey, which gives you wide latitude to matchmake in whatever way you see fit. That's what's going on here. And I'm telling you guys now, you need to be prepared for it. When Rousey leaves, she's taking a good chunk of supporters with her. These are people who were never in the game to begin with for any kind of long haul. But you'll also take some some casual fans with her too. Um, maybe not forever. Some will come back around. I think some of the people that left after Brock Lesnar have come back for Rousey. So these people can be you know cyclically reined back in. I'm just telling you, man. I'm telling you now. I've seen it. I've experienced it. When Rousey leaves, she's taking some people with her. Uh, I don't have much to say about this one, but it's a good question. Thoughts on Cowboy missing his schedule? You saw the drug test and being giving a whereabouts failure notice. It's not the same as failing a drug test. That's only this, that's only about fulfilling to you know uh, live up to the terms of the whereabouts program. There's a certain amount of those you can have without any real actual penalty in terms of your ability to compete. Um, um, it's not a loophole for PED users in any kind of long term way. If that's what you're asking. Uh, and it does not. By the way, he was saying something like, "Oh, I was getting a, I was getting an IV uh, exemption because of some sort of issue he has internally with some of his organs from surgeries past." And even then, I'm to, I'm under the impression that's not even true, and that 
Um, he was just sort of speaking about things he might get, but hasn't actually received one of them yet to, my, to the best of my knowledge. So I, I wouldn't read too much into it. This thing will be a little bit more common than you think it will. By the, by the way, Utah's not stupid. Like if you, if you're missing your whereabouts because you haven't fulfilled the terms of the program, if you do it enough, they can suspend you. If you do it enough, um, they're probably just going to take an increased suspicion in what you're doing and then just test you outright. Uh, someone says, in your opinion, how much longer will the bad press have to continue to make Reebok back out of the deal? Would it take a huge single event to cause this? If so, what would have to happen? <sighs> Man, I don't know. Um, a major fighter coming out against it. Someone says, uh, well, I was thinking maybe you know Rousey came out against it, but she she's not going to do that. Um, she also has an individual sponsorship. Um, if there was some massive New York Times expose on it, because mostly this is just an internal issue. Mostly if a casual fan who watches Ronda Rousey watches, they're really not going to pay too much attention to what they're wearing, which was the whole argument about the NASCARization being a total ridiculous canard from the beginning. Never made any sense. Oh, we want the condom depots out. Okay, make an ad- administrative call to have that taken out, but then charging sponsors for it, you know, and then and then... Just total nonsense. It doesn't make it. This it, it, it's only about, and the UFC has a right to do it. It's only about the UFC saying this is our market. We want to monetize it, which they're correct about. But what they're not correct about is that the fighters together have an argument to say whatever you want to monetize doesn't exist without us. And when you begin to get that collective work together, you begin to get a much more equitable deal uh, in the process. You know, but to just to just paste it on top of a group of people. Um, and say take it, and then letting all these consequences slowly seep out is not the optimal way to do things. Um, for what would it take for the Reebok deal to end? Significantly more. Look, these parties are invested in this deal one way or the other. But you know, Reebok has got to find a way to start getting some good press to let this thing kind of go away. And I really don't see how that happens without one the gear sort of being revolutionized in a way where the next set of kits come out and are just badass, which I, I agree could certainly happen. I hope it happens. It would be nice um, because if the kits are badass, they're going to have more sales. That's another component to this deal. Everyone's like, well, if they buy people's kits with their names on it. They'll get a bunch of money. Who's buying these kits? Do we have any information on sales? Have you, anecdotally, have you seen a lot of these at UFC events? For folks I've talked to, you don't see a whole lot of these, but I haven't been to a UFC event. I'll just trust your judgment on that one. But it doesn't seem like they're flying off the shelves from what I can tell. Um, I, I really sort of feel like it would, you know, uh, so that would be one condition. And then one is like, is there a way to augment this deal? I don't know why after all this bad press, they can't go back and say, um, can we augment this deal to increase the amount of monies paid out or allowing sponsors to have you know, even if not on fight night during fight week for all these videos and interviews they do at media day or weigh in something, some kind of compromise, you know, maybe not for the pay-per-view broadcast. Okay, fine. But what about the free YouTube stream? I mean, I mean, really? We're like, is that that bad? You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. But without the augmentation of the deal changing in terms of the money is allotted, or, you know, some kind of way to increase the money a lot of through sales by having better fight kits or having better fight kits and then generating better media. I really don't know what they're going to do. Someone's asking if Rhonda and Edmund do have a fallout after this camp, what would be a better option, Jackson's ATT or AKA? She's not going to any of those camps. Whatever Rhonda does, she's going to, she might hire Jackson. 
you know, or she might hire Ricardo Laborio or something, they're coming to her. She ain't going to South Florida and she ain't going to San Jose. They're coming to her. Like she has the money to have the kind of camp that you you really want to have for a fighter and good for her. She's earned it. Other speaking about Bellator, are there freak show fights you wouldn't mind seeing? I really feel like we got to get out of this mentality of like, well, I would watch it, you know. And I've, I'm look, no one is more guilty of that than me. I'm the guiltiest. And but promoters feed off of that, man. Promoters feed off of. I'd watch it, you know. We have such a low threshold for what we would and wouldn't watch. We don't really do that with. Uh, I mean, who looks at food and go and goes. I'd eat it. I mean, you might if you ha- if you have to make desperate choices, you know. But no one looks at a bed of nails and goes, "I'd sleep on it." And yet, when it comes to fights, fight fans are just like, "Yeah, I'd watch it." You know, like stop doing that. Stop doing that. Have a little bit more of a palate. Have a little bit more of a standard of of excellence. Because if you don't force a, you know, uh, you essentially give promoters license to do whatever they want. When you just say, "Yeah, you know," you know. Here's a here's a, a little person versus a uh, a warthog. I'd watch like uh, I, I I wouldn't you know. All right, it's two fifteen. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Uh, let's see. Luke, does anybody know what Cyborg's contract is with Zufa? The particulars I am not aware of. No. Um. Matt Grady from uh, halfguarded.com um, reached out and said it was actually Michael Coughlin who wrote the original article on the prohibitive association rule. So check that out over at halfguarded.com. Uh, let's see. Someone's always, someone always asks this, but I, I, it's an interesting question. Look, uh, if America's best athletes devoted themselves at soccer, what level would they can be competing? The problem is not just with our quality of athletes that compete in soccer. It's also the, the system around them, the recruitment, the, the, the having the ability to train them up, getting the kind of peers that can put them in an environment to play at a world-class level. Every sort of bit of the chain of custody that produces a world-class player in the United States as it relates to soccer is compromised or not what it is in, say, Germany or not what it is in, say, France. So it's not simply a lack of the athletes but i would say you know look you know uh beast mode i don't know how good he would be in soccer although he'd probably be pretty good in rugby and you know and um um let me give you another example uh kobe Bryant. i don't know how good he would be in soccer he's you know he's six was he six nine six seven he's just too big but someone like alan iverson to me you know if you would put him from an early age in a world-class training facility in soccer, and he had, let's say, the hunger and the commitment. Forget about the one who's like, practice. We're talking about practice. Forget that, Allen Iverson. Let's say one who really sort of worked at it. How good would he be in soccer? I bet he'd be pretty good. <laughs> it's just a guess. But we're talking about in his prime, just a ridiculous level athlete. Um, I don't know. I wonder. On paper, how do you rate the UFC 193 card overall? Like a six. One says, um, Fight Night 77's gate was under 500K and ratings were lower than Bellator's. The UFC worried about underperformance yet? No, because that wasn't like the tentpole of all tentpole events for Bellator, but it was a higher-end Bellator event. More money put into it. Um, Spark TV is a higher-rated channel. It's just interesting. 
Fox Sports 1 is a lower-rated channel with a better overall product. Spike TV is a higher-rated channel with a lower-end product, relative to UFC anyway. Um, and so the, that's why I feel like the ratings are relatively equivalent in that way. It just sort of tells you what Spike TV is doing with less and what Fox Sports 1 is doing with more. Um, but I don't think it, in the end these comparisons are particularly helpful. If, it, if there was like a dramatic difference one way or the other, we could have different conversations. But the fact that they're relatively equal to me actually sounds about right. Uh, Anderson Silva versus Vitor Belfort. Uh, if it happened again, um, I would still favor a diminished Anderson Silva. Would you ever compete in Meta Morris? <laughs> Actually, he wrote Mera Morris. If they gave you a good paycheck and cool opponent like Dana White, no, I would not compete in Metamorphs. Not under those circumstances or any other. Someone says, I don't know if this to be true. I'm just going to read this. If this is not true, by all means, correct the record. But someone writing me saying, Sao Paulo soccer team slash BR uh, broke off with Reebok a few years ago because they kept making mistakes with uniforms distribution in the middle of the contract or at the end of it. That's the difference. Stop sweating from the kickstart. Jesus. Let's see. Do independent contractors have any minimum wage protections? Um, I'm assuming I don't actually know. Uriah Hall versus Robert Whitaker. Oh, hang on one second. No, I should be good. Uriah Hall versus Robert Whitaker. Uh, look, I think this is a great fight and could be fired tonight. What do you think? Who do you think takes it? I would probably, man, Whitaker hustles, but after Hall's last appearance, I don't know. Um, man. It's a tough one. Hall is more skilled, but Whitaker is more proactive with offense. I'm still going to give it to Hall. Skills win fights. Someone starts their question with, if Cruz gets gets injured, which seems more likely than not. Stop reading the question there. True or false? At heavyweight, Verdum defeats DC but loses to Jones. That's a good question. I'll say false for now, but I wonder about Jones at heavyweight. Will Brooks is good enough to be the current UFC lightweight top five. He is good enough, yes. Uh, true. Aldo, Weidman, Ronda, Dos Anjos, Joanna, Verdum, Lawler all defend their belt successfully in the coming title fights, but not TJ Dillashaw. False. One of those guys is going to lose, or ladies. Uh, Gunnar Nelson would prefer to stand and strike rather than go to the ground with Maya. Absolutely. Maya is better on the ground, but it's not like he's better by like a dramatic leap. He's better. Okay, but he's not, you know, go back and think about Maya versus Jake Shields. You know, they basically canceled each other out. It's kind of like that. With the Gion, I like Maya's chances. But if you go, like, think about this. You could say, well, Maya's this world champion multiple times and, and Gunnar Nelson's not. But yeah, but if you look at the guys who win world titles, man, 
you know, you might get like a Bruno Malfasini who can go there and just bow and arrow choke people in the finals because he's he's amazing. But a lot of times, man, it's like oh, this guy won on advantages. This guy won, you know, two to nothing. You got to take down, and that's it. It's not like they go out there and you know the difference between them and the guy in the semifinals or even the quarterfinals is some dramatic. I mean, look at Murillo Santana. He he won Nogi Worlds one year, but I don't think he's ever gotten more than third place in um, in any kind of IBJJF gi competition. But you know, Keenan Cornelius barely beats him. I mean, barely, barely. Um, you know, or Lepre can't. The difference is, you know, but it's like those guys are always just like one kind of small sort of step ahead, you know, which is what's prevented, I think, Marilla Santana from winning a, a major IBJJF title in the gi at the black belt level. So definitely on the striking level, that's where I think Gunnar Nelson has a much bigger advantage. Nate Diaz at his best would be all the current top 155 pounders in both World Series of Fighting and Bellator, except Brooks. He might even beat Brooks, too. I would say true. UFC will make Lawler versus Diaz, too, if Lawler loses to Condit. They might. I'll say true. Connor loses more fights than he wins against the current UFC top five, excuse me, against the current top 10 155-pounders. Um, I'll say false. Johnny Case defeats Sage Northcutt if they fight each other next. True. Uh, uh, Ronda versus Holm will go past round one, but Holm will not last longer than Misha did. True. Ronda submits Cyborg at 145. True. Luke, do sponsors still have to pay the $100,000 sponsor tax? Now that they can't actually sponsor the fighters in the ring or in the competition. Well, no, there's no sponsor tax related to that. I wonder what the deal is with Monster Energy Drink, what kind of deal they have to do with the UFC, but I think it's a much bigger, longer deal. There's no there's no barrier to entry at that point. It's just about what kind of arrangement they can have with, you know, I'm sure a million dollar arrangements or more, you know, so, so no. Let's see. Can Bobby Lashley be the next Bellator heavyweight champ? I mean, as long as Minik- uh, Vitaly Minikov isn't there, maybe. They cut Volkov. Um, Prindle's gone. <laughs> I don't, yeah, yeah, he could. Someone's asking about Ronaldo. Someone says, Does, did Nine really have much business interaction with the UFC? It wasn't like they had a, they only had a handful of guys involved. But the point being is, You've made it now where not even these ancillary players can even be involved anymore because you've cut off all the avenues for these other people to make money. And that's fine. You could say, well, they don't owe them any money. That's true. No one owes anybody anything in that regard. But um, one, kind of a third-party validator to have these people involved in the industry. But also, you know, look, if you're the UFC, if you cut those people out, they have less effect on your product. It's also a bit of a power control move, right? Um, That's why, I mean, I'm... Look, if the fighters don't get together and do anything about it, this is just a world you got to live in. Um, or don't. Or don't live in it. But, you know, that that's the reality of things. But it's also a bit of a, it's a, bit of a power centralization move as well. Right? If these, if these agents and these managers and these PR companies and these agencies are less involved in, in the process of, of who makes money and how, and when I say less involved in this particular case, not at all involved, there's a lot less discussion that has to be had. 
True or false? Uh, Verdun versus Kane 2 doesn't happen. Kane gets injured again. The UFC brings in another challenger. False. John Jones takes the belt back from Cormier and takes a fight against Rumble before going up to the heavyweight. True. Weidman beats Rockhold and nobody cares about him. I'll say false because that's an a-hole question. Uh, Lawler beats Condit. It's the last time Condit fights for the belt. True. Gastelum becomes the welterweight champion in 2017. False. McGregor tries his hand at lightweight in 2016, and by 2017 is forced back down to featherweight. False. Almeida gets rushed into a title shot against Dillashaw in 2016 and gets crushed. That might be true. Demetrius Johnson fights Benavidez for a third time in 2016 because there is a no one else. That also might be true. Askren versus Santos. We'd be watching this rematch, and how would you see the fight going compared to last time? Uh, about the same as last time. I feel like just Askren will slowly wear him down a little bit. That's that's it. Askren was getting lit up, but he's hard to put away. He's got a good chin. Sproin does not have an IV exemption. Um, so we can just skip all that. Thoughts on Mirko Krokop announcing his retirement for MMA. So he's announced it a number of times. This is not the first. But, uh, yeah, I don't, know. I don't know what else there really is to add to this. Um, he's much older. Uh, I don't think he needs the money. He's had a hugely successful long career, has been paid quite handsomely throughout it for the most part, as I understand it. Um, you know, uh, an unbelievable career to have the kind of achievement in kickboxing that he did in MMA. Alistair Overeem was the only one who's had anything even remotely similar in that regard. Um, yeah, just a pioneer, um, a model fighter, um, a guy who's a test case in perseverance, part of some of the best heavyweight fighting of all time. Um, there's a lot to like about Mirko Krokop. If Holm were to KO Rousey, would the rematch be the biggest fight in UFC history? It might be, but you wonder what it might do to a Rousey versus Cyborg fight, which could be bigger, right? So imagine that Rousey beats Holm, and they find a way to eventually make a Rousey versus Cyborg fight. How big could that be? Would that be bigger than, and people are like, no one knows who Cyborg is. I have a very hard time believing they couldn't sell the hell out of that, even with all those factors included. Um So I wouldn't say it wouldn't be huge. It would be huge. But would it be as big? Debatable. If Joanna starts dominating her division like Ronda, how long before the talk of the super fight between the two starts? There will never be a super fight in that regard. Alan Belcher's retirement. No one asked about it. He said it was a business decision. How are the UFC expecting to attract more top-notch athletes to MMA when they have established and very experienced fighters and experienced and very promising young fighters like Jordan Meehan stepping away because it just isn't worth the trouble? Well, that should tell you all you need to know about fighter pay, shouldn't it? I mean, look, you know, you got guys leaving football and they don't know what to do with themselves afterwards because they've been so focused on football and they've made comfortable amounts of money. They've never really developed skills on the side versus in MMA where you see guys who get together, they open up their own gyms, 
they become businessmen because they really sort of know that like there's not a, there's, there's good money and depending on who you are there could be amazing money right if you're george st pierre or something but for the most part you always got an eye on that money like am i going to invest in real estate properties small ones but okay am i going to open my own gym am i going to open up some other kind of business venture am i going to be cup swanson and have my own line of beer which i can't imagine is too profitable but i hope it becomes a big hit i'll buy some if i ever see some you know um but you know my family had tried that for a while uh believe it or not and it does not make very much money at all you'd be you'd be surprised but um but um you get the idea these guys always kind of have their eye on stuff and that's also a newer age where you know people are just always trying to hustle and have every different kind of you know online digital venture or something else i think it's a little bit more of the part of the culture which younger people are growing up in but but yeah you always have to kind of have an eye on that if you don't man it winds up in a bad spot but um I don't know, man. I don't know if we're losing guys because they can't, you know, there's just better life outside of fighting. That seems to be kind of problematic, but at the same time, you know, I don't want these people to leave the sport. I want the UFC to be curated. I don't want these people to leave the sport. I want a healthier sport with more shows and these guys to fill out more shows, but I just don't know how realistic or likely that is. And in fact, there's an argument to make that's not very realistic or likely at all. And then lastly, someone says, uh, happy Veterans Day, Luke Semper Fi. Semper Fi to all the Marines out there. Uh, happy Veterans Day. If you want to do something nice for a veteran, then um, do this favor for me. You can look, go to uh, purpleheartpickup.org. Okay, that's why I'm going to give them a free plug. This is not anything coordinated. Go to purpleheartpickup.org. If you've got furniture, clothes, jackets, shoes, silverware, anything you want to give away that you don't need anymore. There are lots of veterans out there that need help. Veteran homelessness is a real thing. Veterans being unable to manage their lives after coming back from from, um, far reaches of the world is a very real thing. Purple Heart Pickup is a great organization. I've used them myself. They'll come and get your things. You may have a couple extra t-shirts laying around something, anything, you'd be surprised at what you have. If you live in the United States, I really ask you to consider this. If you live in parts of the UK or Canada, I'm sure you have very similar organizations as well. Check them out. But if you go to purpleheartpickup, all one word, dot org, think about giving away some stuff you have. They'll come and collect it, I believe, for free. My wife set up the last one, but I believe it's all free. Um, just give away what you have, please. Do, do, do a very cool thing. Help some veterans in need. They can really use it, Okay. Um, We have to get out of here. I'll put this up on iTunes as fast as I can. Thank you so much for watching. Stick around. We have the crew down in Australia for UFC 193. So lots of coverage coming your way this week. I will see you guys on Twitter, on Facebook, and everywhere else. Until next time, enjoy the fights.